You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Welcome to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. This is Kim, and we're talking cars with Keith Loudon, curator of the Tussler Museum in Arvada, Colorado, in the foothills of Colorado, not too far from Golden in Boulder. And uh, it's a great, uh, very, very interesting museum that two friends of mine came across. Um, they're big, uh, big fans of Clive Cuffler's books and sought out this car museum. And the more I heard about it, uh, the more I knew we just had to had to talk about it on the Classic Car Show. So, uh, Keith, can you tell me, uh, tell us, you know, kind of who Clive Cuffler is, uh, how the museum came to be, and a little bit of the background? Uh, yeah, I... Uh Kim, and, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> this uh, really started out with uh, this man in the early 70s. Uh, he um, lived in uh, Costa Mesa, California, and he had a family, his wife and three kids, and uh, uh, he had lived uh, most of his life there, was born and raised there, and um, he was looking for work. So he left California and started to head east. Um, and I don't think he really had a plan on where he was wanting, wanting to end up. But uh, um, lo and behold, he uh, came to Colorado, and he was going to take the kids up to um, Estes Park to um, see the national park up there and then move on to wherever uh, he thought his destiny would take him. And um, as he'd done that, he actually uh, liked it uh, in Estes Park, and uh, he decided to... Uh, plant some roots there so he basically started out uh, uh, um, living in, Col- in in Colorado in Estes Park and uh, was looking for work but Estes Park is the kind of town which is a tourist town and the kind of work and stuff that he was uh, involved in uh, he really couldn't find anything up there that uh, was going to fit his needs so he did find work down in Denver and this was actually with an advertising firm and he uh, actually commuted from Estes Park to Denver, uh, which is a pretty good distance uh, uh, when it comes down to it, uh, uh, to travel for a day's work. And um, he actually ended up spending a winter of doing this traveling. And through that process, uh, there were a few times when he um, had problems with the weather due to the Estes Park being in the mountains. Um, there was a few times when he actually had to spend time in Denver and uh, spend a few nights uh, um, uh, to go back to work the next day because he wasn't able to make it to uh, uh, Estes Park. So he really kind of dealt with that for about a year and uh, found out that wasn't working for him by living up there, but it was a beautiful, it's a beautiful country up there. So he actually moved, ended up down here in Arvada, bought a place here, and continued working for the uh, advertising firm. And then, you know, he started writing on the side um, a little bit and was uh, had this notion that he was going to become a, become a writer. Uh, and uh, kind of like the Beatles song, you know, uh, paperback writer. And uh, as he was working and writing on the side and he was helping to raise the kids and so forth, uh, lo and behold, he finally made it. And uh, his, uh, his first book was um, actually... Uh, um, done in 1973, and um, this was a Mediterranean caper. And Mediterranean caper was um, it was a, a novel that uh, is a fictional novel that he started with, and he created a character whose name is uh, Dirk Pitt. And Dirk Pitt worked for a government agency uh, involved with uh, um, a um, company uh, called uh, NUMA, which was the National Underwater Marine Agency. Um, and actually, this at that time was just uh, part of something that he made up in the book for his, uh, um, you know, his uh, character to um, be employed with and, and working with uh, as part of the story in the book and so forth. And um, you know, that's kind of how he got started. And uh, uh, as he started writing, um, you know, he ended up with another book three years later in 1976. And in 1976, he wrote the book. Raised the Titanic, and the book Raised the Titanic was really a good set-off for him, and it was so good that they actually ended up making a movie of that uh, that book in uh, 
uh, in the early 70s, and um, <clears throat> not one that he was real happy and satisfied with as far as the movie, but uh, but it did happen. And, uh, you know, that really put him on the charts then. Um, he signed a contract with Simon & Schuster out of New York, and uh, this man was well on his way as an author, a writer. So he, um, you know, from that point uh, set his destiny to become the author that he wanted to be and, uh, you know, started doing really well. And, um, you know, along the way here, I mean, he has written um, over 25 Dirk Pitt novels, and he's known for at least uh, uh, a total of 70 novels. Uh, he has co-writers today that are writing under his name, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they're done through him and his his name is right there, uh, you know, on the book and uh, on the, all these books. And uh, there's different series of books out there, uh, you know, that uh, uh, that he's overseeing with these co-writers and uh, so forth. And uh, you know, he at that point, uh, to this point, I mean, has done very well. So now, did he um, each all the books I have read uh, feature very prominently a uh, a classic car that uh, Dirk Pitt drives. Now, when did those cars start making their way into these novels, and how did that happen to start start going on? Yeah, well, actually, um, that actually started uh, coming along um, early in, in the uh, series of books. Um, he had written um, um, after Race of the Titanic, which did not have uh, any cars in it at that time. Then he, then he wrote a couple of other novels, uh, Vixen Three, Night Probe, uh, and at that time, he started thinking about uh, cars and the interest in automobiles. So he actually started buying some cars. Uh, as, as being an author, uh, uh, he was making, you know, doing well and making uh, uh, some pretty good money. So at that time, he realized that he could actually afford, you know, some classic cars uh, that uh, he had always lusted and, and really uh, cared about. Uh, you know, he was a, he was a car enthusiast uh, right from a, a young age. He said, and uh, so he actually started buying some cars. And um, after a couple of years of writing these early novels, um, then he started to think about putting the cars in the novels as having his character Dirk Pitt drive. And it, some of the earliest novels, Deep Six, uh, um, he started out with a 1948 Talbot. Um, and um, this car um, is a um, Talbot Record, uh, uh, and, and, and he set it up to where his character, Dirk Pitt, worked out of um, uh, Detroit, I mean, uh, out of um, um, Washington, D.C. And in Washington, D.C., he kind of hung out in this airplane hangar, and in this airplane hangar, here's this collection of cars that this Pitt owned. And he had a loft up above these cars in this airplane hangar. And so all these cars uh, were part of his, you know, mirage of, of uh, you know, vehicles and so forth. So after he bought a few cars, which was one of them was this Talbot, uh, he started using these cars in his novels, uh, and his character drove these cars. Uh, Pitt was actually out being chased in these cars or driving these cars through the different uh, uh, scenarios of, you know, some of these plots and stuff in the books and so forth. And, you know, he's being chased by villains and, and things like that throughout some of these novels. And uh, uh, so as he did that, it just became more of, you know, uh, an interest of buying more cars and then having the cars. So then he would actually start putting more cars into the novels. And uh, then this became a trade for him uh, by doing such. And, uh, you know, by doing that... Um, you know, these cars um, are, are part of the stories as much as the story of the book is itself or his character. So, uh, you know, that's kind of how this all started and evolved. Uh, once he really got his feet planted and he started off and took off uh, and, and could actually, uh, you know, afford some vehicles, and uh, it, it, it all started right then and there. Now, did he have the car first and then write then decide to feature it in the novel, or did he write a novel and decide a particular make and year of car fit the novel, and then go out and buy the car? Um, well, in some of the early books, when he first started out, um, there again he had a few cars, but he, you know, the collection wasn't real large at that time. Uh, so there were some cars that he would mention in some of the novels, 
and he actually did not have the car. Uh, it was just, um, you know, cars that he was interested in and stuff, so he would mention them in the books. Um, and then as the collection started to grow after that, then he had an arsenal, um, you know, in this arsenal. Uh, I mean, he really started buying some cars and actually took and uh, had to think about where he was going to keep these cars and things and, uh, and so forth. So as he wrote a few more novels, he actually had, you know, some cars then that he would, he would think of a story that he was going to write for the book. And then he had a car already, uh, you know, at that time that he had purchased. And then he would take and eventually take that car and put it into the into the stories. So now, did he? What year did he open the museum? I guess the car collection got so big and people got so interested that uh, it really warranted a museum. Uh, yes, you know, um, 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 really, he he built the building. Um, uh, the collection started growing so fast um, back in the seventies. Uh, and, and the writing of the novels, uh, one came after another and after another. And, uh, you know, the next thing it was just that uh, he really uh, drew uh, interest in, uh, in owning a collection. So um, uh, he built this building that we're in, this, this museum. Your auto love and investment demands the best. And for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back on the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. This is Kim and Keith Loudon from the Custer Museum in Colorado talking about author Clive Custler's car collection, uh, which is considerable. And I'm curious, Keith, um, of the cars you have, um, they're beautiful and immaculately restored. Um, where where do you find them? You know, suppose Mr. Custler decides he wants a particular car to add to the collection feature in a book. Uh, does he, you know, everybody says a lot of the thrill of uh, developing a car collection is the chase. So is Mr. Kessler solely involved in the chase? Do you use auction companies? Uh, do you go look for the cars? And then what percentage of them were restored when you bought them, and how many of them were projects? Uh, yes. Um, well, you know, um, as far as um, purchasing the cars, um, he has went down just about every avenue that is possible as far as um, – um, you know, finding a collector car and uh, purchasing it. Uh, the the thing about the collection uh, that is that is his uh, here is is that a lot of the cars are very selective automobiles. Um, they're not readily available a lot of times um, just at auctions and so forth. Uh, uh, these are special coach built cars and um, very hard to come by sometimes. So um, we have we have bought cars at auction. Uh, uh, we get um, uh, catalogs in the mail and uh, and get phone calls and and so forth uh, and um, we we stay up on you know what what is what is readily available out there a lot of times at certain auctions. Um, Mr. Kessler lives in uh, he resides down in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, he oh, has well, access. That's certainly to, the hub of collector uh, <laughs> car buying. Uh, yes, you know, and and and. Uh, he uh, he bought a place down there, and uh, he would go down there in the winter time and stay, and then come back in the summertime. So um, we would spend uh, a lot of Januarys, uh, you know, at the um, at the Bear Jackson auction, 
uh, the Gooding auction or the uh, Steel auction, uh, or um, lately it's been the RM auction, which is a very, very, uh, you know, a nice auction for uh, classic cars and very rare, to, uh, hard to find type cars too. Uh, uh, Rob Meyer, uh, it really, uh, you know, supplies um, a good list of cars a lot of times at his auctions, and uh, so we've went there. And um, we've also, um, Mr. Mr. Kessler pursues a lot of these cars himself. Um, he has done a lot of research uh, over the years, uh, just like he has done for his books and so forth. And uh, he has a lot of knowledge on classic cars and a lot of knowledge on what was, what was rare and special out there or what was rare and very collectible as a, um, as a special coach, coach belt car, you know, that uh, they only made a few of. And... Uh, we also found cars at, um, <clears throat> you know, from private collectors, private individuals. Uh, uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, collectors, uh, um, they uh, they stay in contact with each other a lot of times, and uh, and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of times, uh, horse trading goes back and forth between collectors uh, and so forth. Um, and we we bought cars off of eBay. Uh, he bought a 1913 Stutz Bearcat um, off of eBay that. Uh, he was uh, infatuated with and, and wanted, and uh, this was a doctor who was down in Texas. Uh, he had two of them, and he was selling one of them, and Mr. Kessler had to have that, so, you know, purchase that car. So, uh, Did you get you know, we've, we've, before, uh, before you hit the, uh, hit the buy it now button or won the auction? I'm sorry? Yeah, yeah, he, uh, well, him, with him, uh, yeah, he, uh, he actually, uh, I think, uh, was the high bidder on this car, so, you know, okay. uh, so he done well. Uh, although there are occasions when... You know, with eBay, you, you do have that chance of buy it now. You know, just uh, you know, just just uh, go ahead and pull the trigger. So take uh, take a look. Now, yes. do you show the cars outside of the museum? Um, do you go any of the big concours that are around? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, you know, we've been to um, uh, we have been to um, 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 Pebble Beach, and we have um, been to uh, Meadowbrook, Michigan. We have been to Amelia Island here lately, uh, very nice concourse. Uh, we have been to Auburn, Indiana. We have, uh, you know, Duesenberg's, Auburn's, and Cords uh, in the collection. So uh, we have been to those. And uh, we used to have a nice uh, little um, um, concourse that took place here down at uh, the Broadmoor Hotel down in Colorado Springs uh, for a few years, which uh, we did that uh, concourse uh, for about three years. Um, so we do get, get around the country, and we uh, we do like to compete with the cars and and show them, you know, and uh, be out there with other collectors uh, and uh, show the. Do you, show ever, do you ever sell anything from the collection? Uh, no, uh, Mr. Kessler's a hoarder. No. Uh, he, he doesn't sell. <laughs> he does. it, you know, I, I, I have to be honest. Case. I guess I have to be honest here and say that uh, Mr. Kessler is is a collector who is a collector. Uh, he is not into buying cars to make profit on, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he has been collecting for over, for about 40 years, and uh, very seldom has he ever sold a car. The only time that we did was a, a car that maybe was either m maybe misrepresented uh, or uh, not up to his standards, uh, uh, you know, to where we'd sell the car and then look for another one. But uh, he, is a, he is a true collector, and uh, he, he, you know, he loves all of his cars and uh they're all here for a reason, and that's because he has the interest in them. Now, what percentage of the cars um, did you buy fully restored, and what percentage did you have to restore? Were any of them just complete projects? And do you do the restoration work in-house? Do you have a shop, or do you send it out? Uh, yeah. Um, actually, we um, the collection, as it has uh, evolved, um, over, you know, um, my 32 years here, um, you know, the collection probably, I'm going, I'm going to say that half of the cars that he has purchased to date um, are cars that are, have been done um, and already restored. Um, half of them, I would say, uh, we have redone for one reason or another. And with that, I'm, I'm saying that uh, in this collection, uh, he has purchased cars that were, basically nice cars uh, right off of the, you know, purchasing block, but was maybe not up to his standards as far as, uh, let's say, color standards and things. Um, people that come in here are, are truly amazed 
at a lot of the color schemes, uh, the paint jobs on these cars and stuff. So we tend to take a very nice car and actually tear it down and actually uh, redo it and uh, do it to his color scheme uh, uh, as far as, you know, the way he would like to see the car. And um, we actually do the restoration work. I've done the restoration work here um, uh, all over the years. Uh, we have uh, two shops here and a paint booth, and, we, you know, we have a facility that uh, uh, where we can tear the cars down and uh, actually do everything. Uh, um, what we do send out is uh, upholstery work uh, and the chrome plating. But other than that, we, uh, we do everything else in-house. Wow, that's, uh, that's a lot of talent there. Now, I'm sure if you've been to Amelia and Hebel, those cars probably were restored exactly as they came from the factory. Uh, do you ever take liberties and introduce some colors or some upholstery or something like that that either wasn't original to that particular car or maybe was a period color but just not on that exact car when it came from the factory? Yes. I'll answer that question with yes. Uh, there again, I was, I was kind of talking bit of both. about the, I'm sorry? A little bit of both, I guess. Uh, a little bit of both. Um, you know, uh, he likes to give these cars character um, through a lot of times the paint jobs to bring out a lot of the moldings and things that are on a body or something uh, that may not have been done originally back then, but... Um, we tend to do it um, a lot of times with a lot of the cars, and we have to go back to that aspect that a lot of these cars are coach-built cars. And when coach builders built the car according to what a customer wanted, they had some custom paint jobs that they put on their cars versus the factory paint jobs that were coming out. So sure. we take it one step further, and we are actually you know, within our rights to do that, without causing any injury to uh, pricing or judging of the cars uh, due to the fact that they were custom-made cars. So we get away with a lot that way uh, by doing that. Now, do you modify um, drivetrains also, or is it purely aesthetics? Uh, no. Uh, everything, else, everything else remains totally stock and original on the cars uh, um, as the day they were born. Mm -hmm. How about are the cars driven regularly? Uh, that is... Uh, that is the funnest part of the job, um, and that is something that we're we're constantly doing. You know, with 100 cars, uh, that could keep you uh, pretty busy, uh, you know, uh, for a long period of time. Uh, although having the museum open as we do, uh, that kind of cuts into our uh, time frame a little bit. But uh, but we do get all the cars out, and and they all do run. Every car in the collection is a running car. Uh, Mr. Custer would happen to come to town and say, Keith. I want to drive the 29 Bentley, uh, lower Bentley. Uh, I have to make sure that car is running and ready to go for him. So, uh, you know, so we do keep all the cars in running condition. Uh, I've learned a lot of tricks over the years, you know, to uh, uh, make that happen, you know, with the circumstances of not being able to get them out once a month or something, you know. So, uh, but, Do you have, uh, like, a, I know uh, I live fairly close to the Simeon Museum near Philadelphia, and they have sort of demo days where they have the same issue you do. They need to keep all their cars running. So they'll have a Saturday, and they'll send out a, an email. Uh, we're going to run these five cars on Saturday and just invite the public to hear the particular cars run and see them drive around the parking lot. Do you do anything like that? Uh, you know, due to the circumstances here, of um, um, for us, um, we, we kind of don't. Um, we're we're doing a lot of this in the fall time uh, um, when when the museum is actually closed. So um, that way we, we forty five years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? 
All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Back on the Classic Car Show with Keith Loudon, and uh, we're going to talk about a, uh, a book that Clive Cussler wrote, but not one of his Dirk Pitt novels. It's a book called Built for Adventure, and it talks about his incredible car collection out in Colorado. So, Keith, if you would, tell us a little bit about the book and how it came to be. Uh, sure. Um, yes, the book, uh, Built for Adventure. Um, this was a concept that uh, Clive came up with um, due to the fact that he had so many fans and readers uh, that read his novels and were interested in his character and uh, stories and so forth. Uh, they, there was so much interest in the cars that, uh, uh, you know, he thought, well, let's, let's do a, a coffee table book, uh, a book, uh, you know, that shows the collection and shows the cars and, and t- will tell a little bit about each car and kind of explain, you know, any history that we have on the cars uh, and how many, uh, you know, cars maybe existed uh, and so forth uh, since they're, they're such a uh, interesting collection. So um, what we actually did was is we started out with this Built for Adventure book, um, and this consists of um, basically classic cars from the early 1900s up into the um, um, end of the early 40s. Um, so this is a, a book that we started out with, with all these cars in it. And, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember, there's probably, I'm going to say close to uh, at least 40 cars uh, out of the collection uh, or so that are in this book, uh, um, you know, that range from the early 1900s up in, into the uh, late 30s, early 40s. So, um and each car is um, shown in this book and, and a little story about the car and a little information explaining about the car and any information that maybe, you know, as far as might be some history about the car. So um, so this book, uh, you know, is, is really interesting. Uh, um, and uh, the pictures and so forth um, really kind of show uh, a lot of the collection that we have uh, with this uh there's uh, a couple couple favorites from the book that uh, are amazing cars and have great stories. Um, my probably favorite car is the 1913 Marmon, which uh, I believe was Howard Marmon's personal car and was uh, a little bit hot-rodded. And I love cars that have been in movies, and uh, I love Grace Kelly. And uh, I think she was, she was a part of both of the both stories on this Marmon. So can you tell us a little bit about that car? Uh, yeah, you know, the 1913 Marmon, uh, interesting car. You know, Marmon actually was a, a pretty big car, you know, that started out with the Indianapolis 500 and uh, was, um, you know, uh, well-known uh, back then. So it wasn't a car that, you know, was was one that was uh, not known by, um, um, you know, car enthusiasts or or drivers and so forth. Uh, this particular car, though, um, as you said, you know, was uh, a special car. And, um, you know, the the car itself was interesting because uh kind of souped it up um, and took in the uh, – he increased the uh, um, displacement um, to 354 cubic inches, uh, improved the intake system with a, a Zenith carburetor and, and uh, added a high compression ratio um, – which changed the uh, um, produced horsepower to about 70 horsepower in this car. So it made this car, you know, a hot rod uh, just from just from those facts, pretty much. And uh, that was a lot of horsepower. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, uh, uh, 70 horsepower and a uh, 354 cubic inch motor. Uh, pretty good size engine too, you know, for what it was. Uh, um, and the car itself, though, 
the car was um, uh, actually looks like a huge car, but uh, um, it it only weighed like 2,600 pounds, which was uh, incredible, you know, for an older car of uh, of this era, you know, to be um, uh, that light of weight. So, but uh, it was a you know a fascinating car that. Um, um, and th this car was then later sold to the uh, Hera Collection uh, and spent some time at the Hera Collection before, uh, you know, they actually uh, sold out a lot of their stuff. Uh, so. Now, it um, was in the movie called The Swan, right, with Grace Kelly? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah it, was in the, it was in the movie Swan, uh, and uh, Agnes Moorhead, uh, both whom uh, uh, expressed their, uh, their love for their cars. So, but... Uh, and yeah, it was. Uh, what year was that movie? Uh, 1952, I think was. Uh, or no, it wasn't 1952. I don't know exactly what year the movie was actually made. Uh, um, and how did the car end up in the movie, and who owned it uh, during that period? Um, you know, during that period of time, um, uh, it went through a different owner um, over the years. Um, in 1952, it was found parked outside a barn and purchased uh, for $350, and it was restored by uh, the new owner and uh, uh, rented to the uh, producer for the uh, movie. But uh, I don't know, you know, if there was uh, any known names at that time, uh, you know, of, uh, of who the car actually had belonged to. From what, uh, it was a beautiful, uh, beautiful car. Um, yes. Another favorite from the book and just, just a great, great romantic story is the 46 Ford Club Coupe that, yeah. uh, if I remember right, um, Clive Cussler bought for his wife because she had driven one like that in high school. Does that sound right? Uh, well, actually, his wife at, uh, at the time uh, that this car was uh, popular back then, uh, she was actually going to college, and uh, she... Uh, um, she drove a 46 Ford uh, while she was um, uh, attending college. And uh, uh, the way the story goes is Mr. Kessler and uh, Barbara were um, on a trip. And they were out, and uh, they were out driving on a country road. Uh, and um, as, he, as he went by this farm, Barbara, Barbara says, Oh, look, Clive, there's a, a 46 Ford just like I had when I was in college. And Clive happened to glance over and seen it and uh, he drove down the road a little ways, turned around, come back, and uh, he says, well, let me go talk to the fellow and see if, uh, you know, if the car's for sale or not. So Clive uh, went back and he got out and uh, mingled with the um, farmer for a little bit and uh, um, somehow talked him into selling the car. So he had the car then lo uh, brought back here to Denver, and um, uh, when he, while he lived here in Arvada and was still riding uh, in, a, in a small, modest house that they lived in, uh, um, um, and he and his son Dirk actually took this car and actually started tearing it down out in front of the house out on the street and commenced the restoring of this car and uh, basically uh, did the restoration work themselves and everything on it and uh, he had somebody else paint the car but uh, most of the work and stuff was uh, actually done by he and Dirk uh, uh, to bring this car around and uh, his wife was so excited that uh, they used to actually take the car out on weekends and go riding in it, you know, and uh, showing it off. And uh, it brought, you know, great pleasure to her. Uh, she, uh, it, it brought back, you know, old times for her. So they enjoyed the car a lot. Uh, and it's still in the collection today, and it actually is the very first car that started the collection. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. This car actually uh, was, the, was the first car that um, he purchased uh, over and above all these, you know, magnificent uh um, you know, rare exotic cars that he owns today. Uh, uh, this car started it all. <laughs> now there's a there's a '48 Packard convertible there yes. that uh, is black and probably has the most colorful past, or at least one of them of anything in the collection. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes, the '48 Packard um, uh, Custom Eight uh, Victoria convertible. Um, we used to sit and uh, discuss cars that uh, were of interest. Uh, he kind of had a list of, uh, uh, you know, cars that it's like, well, we need to find these as we can. And 
one day we were sitting around and I was looking in the newspaper and I happened to see an ad for this 48 Packard custom convertible um, Victoria and I thought wow this is just like the car that he had discussed and the kind of car that he wanted so I called him and um, this was actually over the winter months and uh, told him about the car and I said this car is in the paper it's for sale I said you know and it's local it's not too far away from here it's a few miles away from the uh, from the shop here so he came down and uh, we actually went over to look at this car and uh, that particular morning um, was a blizzard and um, the snow was coming down like crazy here and uh, and, and the fella had been waiting there for us to get there and we finally did and lo and behold he opens up the garage and uh, we're, we're looking and here we see this black uh, 1948 Packard sitting there and in original condition original black paint job and red leather interior and uh, this car um, caught Clive's eye right away and he goes does it run and the fellow said well sure he goes here let me fire it up and we'll pull it out and you can take it and drive it and I'm like we're gonna drive it Clive it's snowing like you know like we're gonna end up with about you know a foot of snow here shortly and Clive's like, oh, yeah, well, let's take it for a spin. So we, we get in the car and we take off, and uh, we're driving this car down the road, and uh, um, the thing ran like it was brand new. But uh, uh, as we went, he goes, I'm having a hard time seeing, and, and, and the windshield started uh, fogging up and, and so forth, and the wipers were vacuum wipers. And so we were going up this hill, and I thought for sure that he was going to wreck this car that he couldn't see because he's driving this car and the and the, the wipers stop right dead center where they were at and the windshield just had tons of snow on it and stuff and I didn't think we were going to make it but we get back to the fellow's house and uh, uh, Clive's talking to him and so forth and he goes well where did you get the car at and he goes well the car belonged to my father and he goes my father back in the day was looking for a, a 48 Packard and uh, he went to the Packard dealerships and was uh, trying to find this car uh, Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We're back with Keith Loudon from the uh, Cussler Car Museum in Colorado, and we've talked about a lot of the uh, older cars. We're going to move on into the 50s now. Um, there's an incredible collection of 50s convertibles at the museum, and uh, while we were on the commercial, Keith just told me that he actually did a lot of the restoration work. So take us through a few of those cars, Keith. Uh, sure. You know, um, Mr. Cussler, uh, <clears throat> through his collecting and uh, being a um, you know selective collector, um, a lot of the 50s cars that we have in the collection uh, are due to the fact that um, they are very rare, low-numbered production cars. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, he didn't, he, he, he never sought after, uh, uh, you know, more common cars such as the Fords and the Chevys. Uh, he went after cars that were um, um, less seen and, um, and, and less produced. Uh, and, you know, we have many, many uh, really nice uh, 50s convertibles, one being a, a 1958 Buick Limited. Uh, uh, and the Buick Limited was a car that was uh, 
different from the Buick Roadmaster and the Buick Special, uh, this car was um, a different chrome setup on the car. Uh, the back end of the car was actually about nine inches longer than uh, the standard Roadmaster was at that time. And so um, uh, the car is, uh, you know, of these 50s areas like this car, a very long car. He was not happy enough with the car being uh, close to 19 feet long. We added a two-foot Continental kit to the back of the car, so <laughs> this stretched it out even more. And this car is just gleaming with chrome and, uh, uh, and, and you know, leather, brown leather interior that's just gorgeous. And then we have... Uh, How many Buick Limited did they make? I'm sorry? How many Buick oh, the, Well, the Buick Limited, the convertibles, uh, the, convert, the convertible range was very... Uh, very limited to, I, I think, somewhere around, oh, less than 100 um, oh, wow. of them. And, uh, and I don't know how many of them around, you know, totally today, um, for sure. I, I have seen some at auction for sale and stuff. So, you know, they're still, uh, they're, they, they are still out there and, uh, and available where, you know, uh, collectors uh, do find them. So, right. but, uh, but a very, very nice car. Um, and then another one is a... Um, uh, um, a Cadillac, um, which 1957 Cadillac uh, Eldorado Brome. Um, well, I'm, I'm talking about this car. It's not actually a convertible car. It's a hardtop car. Uh, what's interesting about it is it has a stainless steel roof, and they only made about 400 of those cars. So uh, we have that. We have a uh, um, a 58 Chrysler Imperial, um, or Chrysler 300, which is uh, very rare for 1958. And this car is actually featured in one of his book, uh, his book uh, Black Wind. And um, these cars were, you know, basically the muscle cars of that era. And, um, you know, they range, uh, uh, this is a 300D, 1958 Chrysler uh, 300D. And uh, it has the Hemi 392 engine in it with uh, about 375 horsepower uh, is what they put out as far as engines and so forth. Uh, but... Uh, Another gorgeous car um, in in a uh, robin egg blue color. Um, and weren't the early letter cars? Did they have kind of a uh, maritime theme dash? You know, they had an incredible dimensional dash. And wasn't that taken from sort of uh, like a boat theme? Uh, yes, yes, it actually was. And um, and um, you know the way it was set up with the gauges and so forth, uh, round gauges, and. Um, very visible to see, um, you know, through the steering wheel and stuff, the way that uh, the dash mound was uh, displayed. And um, another thing that was interesting about these cars was the, uh, uh, with people that uh, kind of remember them, uh, uh, the push-button uh, transmission shifting, which uh, on the left-hand side of the dash uh, uh, by the door, uh, you had, you had your, your buttons there that you would actually push to shift the car, you know, into the gears. So uh, that makes, uh, you know, these cars kind of, Kind of interesting, and, and it's amazing how some people do remember these cars, you know, uh, and so forth. And um, and then we have a, like a 1958 um, uh, Pontiac Bonneville uh, convertible uh, Tri Power, uh, one of the early version uh, um, cars that uh, again horsepower and um, the setup of the three carburetors uh, was an early version of um, you know what later became known on the uh, GTOs and so forth, uh, which is, uh, you know, a very interesting car. And there again, just chrome pouring out of this car all over. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and these cars, um, you know, were, were basically were involved in getting into the space age, and a lot of appearances and things on these cars were based on, uh, you know, design as far as uh, where they were trying to make them aerodynamically, uh, you know, uh, feasible and uh, and yet displaying uh, you know like hood ornaments and things on these cars that uh, you know resembled you know jets, rockets, and things like that uh, you know that uh, were uh, you know of the space age. And, um, and then we have another car which is a 1959 uh, Etzel convertible. Um, you um, you don't see very many of these. Um, these around. This one is actually a, a 58 Etzel Corsair, um, and um, they were very powerful cars too. Uh, they had the big 410 block motor in them, and uh, they were kind of, kind of 
for some reason, uh, it's a Ford was, I don't know what the problem was, uh, you know, with uh, with the name uh, Etzel, but, uh, you know, these cars didn't do very well. They only made them for three years. and uh, But still, yet, yeah, uh, you know, very, very neat design to them. And uh, I'm kind of an Etzel guy myself, so, and I really like those cars. But uh, then we have like a 57 uh, Dodge D D500, uh, which uh convertible, um, red and white in color, and uh, it's a Royal Lancer. And these cars were um, uh, the same way, Hemi engine, um, big motor with um, dual four barrels on it, uh, uh, you know, gas guzzler, so to speak, for back then. But uh, if you could afford the car, you could afford the gas for it. So, but sure. uh, pretty interesting cars. Uh, and we have. Uh, Did you get into any of the uh, Motorama cars? Uh, no, no. He never. Uh, he never uh, had the opportunity or um, you know the chance to buy anything like that. Uh, uh, those are very hard to come by. Uh, you know, uh, but they are out there. But. Uh, yeah, he just uh, kind of concentrated on certain other cars, you know, and uh, and kind of flew with uh, what he could get. We have a 54 Cadillac uh, Eldorado Baritz convertible, big car, um, big red, uh, you know. The thing is, the thing is it, it, all these cars are huge in size-wise, so, <laughs> you know, close to 20 feet well, long, uh, all these cars. They take up a lot of room. What would you say is the uh, the most valuable car? That's what everybody's question. I'm sure you get this question all the time. What's the most valuable car in the collection? You know, um, that we do get asked that question a lot. And the thing, it's not that I don't want to say a car. It's mm -hmm. kind of that I don't really know for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I would only be speculating if I tried to say. Um, you know, there again, he's uh, he's been a 40-year collector. Um, we have some cars in the collection that he's owned that long. Um, you know, we have a Bugatti that he uh, he bought a long time ago, and this car really I don't know what kind of money it maybe would bring until it was taken to market and sold. Um, and there's a few other cars that actually are in competition, you know, uh, too. But uh, boy, it's it's really really hard to say because this. This 39 Bugatti Type 57C uh, um, is, is an incredible car, and I, I, I know that those cars, uh, Bugattis uh, of the early um, era, you know, are, are extremely rare and very extremely expensive. And you really can't, you know, every time they're auctioned, that establishes a value point. And like you said, they're so rare and so few and far between that uh, you really can't put a value on them until there's a sale. And then uh, yes. maybe five, ten years could go by before another one even comes up for sale. Yes. So what uh, what's in the future for the collection? Is there something that uh, you and Mr. Kessler are looking for currently? Um, how do you determine how you're going to add to the collection, and do you think you'll add cars at the same rate that you've done in the past? Um, you know, at this point, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I'm not sure, um, you know, what will uh, um, what we will end up with in the future. Uh, I know that he's always, he always has his eye open, um, but he's very selective and he he operates very slow uh, at his own pace. So it just depends on what maybe comes up that uh, really draws his interest. And um, around here, um, it's kind of like Christmas. Uh, uh, you know, you see a big truck pull up here, and uh, um, you, you never know what's going to come off of that truck because he hasn't called to tell us. He surprises <laughs> us. So, you know, that makes it interesting, too, uh, uh, and so forth. Um, I would have to say that, you know, his son, Dirk uh, Kessler, is uh, is uh, actually co-writing uh, the Dirk Pitt novels now. And, uh, you know, Dirk is in his mid-50s. And Dirk, I think, um, you know, has an interest in the collection. But in a in a in a, um, a different generational way, you know, um, ah. he's a little um, younger, and his taste is a little different. Uh, he had actually went over to Switzerland here a year ago and uh, spent a year over there, and his kids went to school there, and uh, he uh, kind of enjoyed uh, some time there writing, and uh, he and his wife and his kids. And while he was there, he buys a 1956 Alfa Romeo. 
and has it shipped over here, and, you know, it's in the collection now. So I'd say that the collection is, is going to change, you know, uh, uh, virtually uh, through him, uh, too, uh, you know, as another generation of, uh, of um, a, a type of collector that's going to pick up cars that, uh, uh, you know, that he kind of likes, uh, where this is a kind of a sports car. You know, it's a Alfa Romeo 1900 uh, CSS uh, Coupe. So um, there, there we go, you know. Uh, a, t a total different uh, generation might, might start with a say, you know, whole you, different you type of car cars that you love. Yeah, you buy the cars you loved in high school. Exactly. So, uh, yes. If you were yes. in high school uh, in the seventies, we might see some might see some muscle cars coming into the collection. Never uh, yes, no, it's no. not out of the picture, uh, not out of the realm. Uh, uh, you know, that's uh, that's what uh, uh, I am convinced of. So uh, it makes it kind of exciting, and uh, and you know, makes it uh, you know. Um, uh, a lot of fun to see what will happen and how the how the uh, collection may change. You know, uh, you're always open for you know any any improvements that you can do and and add uh, add on. You know that will just uh, maybe draw more people in uh, and so forth uh, for for other reasons too. So and draw a whole new generation of uh, of guests to the museum. It's always important. It, it it certainly Ab is. It certainly is. Absolutely. We've got about 30 seconds left in the show. Um, do you have upcoming events? You know, we'd love it if some of our listeners would get to Colorado to visit the museum, but will we see any of your cars this year, maybe in 2017, at Concours around the country? Uh, you know, it's very possible. Um, we, in the last uh, two, three years, we uh, uh, had competed at Amelia Island. Uh, this year we had some things that, uh, that came up that we were unable to, so we are going to try to uh, possibly make that next year. Thank you for listening to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio this morning. And let's thank Keith Loudon from the Cussler Museum at website, C-U-S-S-L-E-R. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.